So if you have your Bibles, uh, be turning to the book of Acts chapter 25. If you're a member of HBF, uh, you may be able to see me. Uh, and I can say I don't see you, but I actually do. There is a facsimile of you in the congregation this morning, and it's a very poor facsimile, but it is a facsimile nonetheless. So uh, just as a little dessert after church is over, I think I'll do a little live feed and uh, show you my, uh, the, the handiwork actually that my wife did. And uh, she took all your smiling little faces and uh, put them on the chairs. So as I'm preaching, I'm, I still, I'm looking at you virtually, uh, sort of, just as you're looking at me virtually. So it's kind of funny and kind of cool at the same time. So um, anyway, I don't know. I thought it was funny. But uh, praise the Lord. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Acts, chapter 25. We're going to continue our study of of really the, the final act in the book of Acts as Paul is going to make his way to Rome, fulfill his call, run his race, finish his course. And uh, we're talking about discovering our DNA because all the aspects of the book of Acts that, that we see from uh, the first chapter till the very end really are the DNA. You see the actions of the Apostle Paul. You see, uh, of course, before chapter 12, how God worked through the nation of Israel and the Jewish apostles uh, to bring forth and birth the church in Acts chapter 2 going forward, and then it transitions. Acts chapter 9, Paul got saved. By the time we get to Acts chapter 13, um, there's a transition to uh, the Gentiles, and then the, by the time we get here to the end of the book of Acts today, uh, in essence, we will see God close the door uh, on the Gentile, or on the, the, the nation of Israel's opportunity. Uh, it was already closed before Paul went to Jerusalem. I've made that clear in previous sermons, but uh, really, for Paul in his own heart, the, the door is closed. He will leave Jerusalem permanently. He's already been taken out of Jerusalem, and he will never return until the second coming of Christ. And so it's a sad thing to see that. And, uh, and, uh, but in reality, it's a real decision that every soul must make to follow Christ. And in the case of the nation of Israel, Paul desperately wanted them to follow Christ, but they wouldn't do it. And so I pray if you're watching today and you've never followed Christ, maybe you're wondering what that's all about, that you would hang with us as we get into the Word of God because it's impossible to know God apart from His Word. He has left us His Word. As He ascended uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, uh, He left three things. That's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the local New Testament church. And so uh, it is our job to represent Him well. And it's my prayer that, that we all represent Him well uh, through this crisis, this COVID crisis, and uh, I want to thank you again for joining us this morning. If you're just coming online, it's good to have you here online, and I hope that you have an opportunity to join us here soon. I hope this crisis uh, goes away and we're able to come together again as one man in this room, and uh, all these little papers will lift up and uh, all the real bodies will be sitting in there, but that's pretty, pretty cool to just kind of representatively see the folks of HBF. And so I, I've asked you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 25, and as you're turning there, just let me give you a couple moments of refresher where we've been. Last week we left off in Acts chapter 24 and verse 27, and uh, two years will have passed between chapter 24 and chapter 25. As we go into chapter 25 and verse 1, um, Paul has been sitting in language, not really languishing, that's probably the wrong word, but he's definitely been waiting uh, in prison, which is in a palace, but he still had a, a Roman attached to him at all times, and uh, he had some liberties, but it, it wasn't like being at home. And so two years passes, and uh, in that time, a lot has happened. And when you consider how much transpired between Acts chapter 21 and verse 17 through Acts chapter 24, um, man, a lot happened. There were 13 days 
and, and, and several chapters, right? So in several chapters, in three, over three chapters, the Apostle Paul packs in a lot, and God packs in a lot of detailed information to give us a good understanding of why we find ourselves in Acts chapter 25 this morning. And, uh, and so we understand that, you know, we feel like our life's on hold. Paul was running 100 miles an hour, figuratively speaking, as he was obviously doing everything he could. If you'll remember way back, if, you're, if you have been with us through this series, he was doing everything he could among the Gentiles. He was writing epistles. He was sending letters. He was going from spot to spot. He was making a journey, trying to get to, trying to, get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. I mean, so this man's life is just full blast much like most of ours was up until a few weeks ago. And then, and then all of a sudden, he gets arrested uh, a few days into his trip to Jerusalem. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, he's in Caesarea, as we've already read. And in Caesarea, uh, he can't go anywhere fast. As a matter of fact, uh, the last thing we see in chapter 24, verse 27, is that Portius Festus came unto Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. And we know that Paul was bound for the space of two years, it says in verse 47, but after two years. So that time in which Paul was in, in prison uh, was, was two years waiting, you know, for something to happen. This was a man who was used to moving around in a hurry, and, uh, and he was not moving anymore. He was kind of stuck like, well, like some of us are in this uh, situation that we're in. And, and so through beatings and bad trials and bad circumstances, uh, Paul's life was uh, actually completely blameless. None of the charges that, that were leveled against him stuck, but yet he still found himself in a quarantine situation because uh, he was in prison uh, there in the palace in Caesarea. So it was not that he was not accused, and it was not that none of the accused, it was, it was that none of the accusations, by the way, stuck. So it wasn't that Paul lived a life of where he could not be accused. Uh, he was a blameless man. But, you know, even people who are blameless uh, will be accused. And the reason for that is because, well, Satan accuses Jesus, right? He's the accuser of the, the brethren, the Bible says in Revelation. And so even though God's character is absolutely spotless, the adversary accuses him. And so when you represent the, uh, you represent the Lord, the adversary wants to accuse you as well. And the main thing is uh, Jesus never sinned, but unfortunately we do. And so it's so important that we, like the Apostle Paul, are blameless in our business and the way we conduct our life and our lifestyles. The Bible would call it conversation, not what, just what we say, although that's very important, but also how we live. And Paul had a blameless life, right? It was, being blameless was not that nobody could lay a blame on him. It says that none of them would stick because he was not guilty. Of, of the things that they were accusing him of. He was like uh, the opposite, the antithesis of the old Teflon Don, so to speak. So in chapter 24, Tetelus accused Paul of blaspheming the Jewish laws around the entire world. In Acts 24, 5, we covered that last week. He was accused of sedition as a ringleader of the Nazarenes, which is kind of ridiculous, uh, a rebellion against the, Ro- the Romans, uh, which, by the way, had erupted in between the time of Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. Uh, bringing uh, Festus into power. And then he was accused of profaning the temple in Acts 24 and verse 6, being blasphemous against God. So basically, uh, Tertullus in chapter 24 laid three major charges, and they're still being discussed as we get into chapter 25. That is, hey, that Paul, man, you have really, uh, you have really uh, gone after Caesar's kingdom. 
you are, you are, you are a threat to the state, you're a threat to the, Jew, the, the order of the Jewish nation, and you are a threat to God because you, you blasphemed the temple and brought uh, Gentiles in. Of course, Paul already handled all those accusations, and I'm not going to rehearse that. You can go back and listen. But God allowed him to finish uh, before he could even finish his sentence, right? All Paul wanted to tell people is, is that, hey, guys, I have a clean conscience before God in the sight of men. I mean, he started to say that. He, he said, I do exercise myself to always uh, have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. But he got, he got wrapped in the mouth before he could get that out. But God was so good to him in Acts chapter 24 as he got sent up to Caesarea then he was able to actually finish his sentence. So God gave him an opportunity to finish his message. And in that message, he clearly once again preached Jesus Christ was the issue and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in other words, Paul was blameless, but Paul knew he was right with God and, and man, even when things with man and God uh, and God's chosen people, Israel, were wrong. See, not everything was right in his world, right? I mean, the nation of Israel, his brother and the people he loved wanted to, to kill him. And then Roman, the Romans really could have let him go because there was none of these charges that would stick, but they weren't going to because Festus, or I mean, Felix, I'm sorry, wanted to do uh, the Jews a favor. And, uh, and try to smooth some things over by using Paul as the goat. So Paul's world may not have been perfect. Uh, and actually, Paul, if you read chapter 7 of Romans, he wasn't always perfect, but Jesus Christ is perfect. He is complete. And because he's complete, we're complete. And Paul was following in his father's footsteps, and he was blameless and harmless, a son of God. As that's really the vision of HBF, by the way, in Philippians chapter 2. That's what we want to be. In the last days before the coming of Christ, we want to be blameless, harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That doesn't mean you won't be accused. It's very likely that that, uh, that will happen to the church, especially as the days grow darker. But Paul, uh, being wronged as a citizen of Rome, uh, didn't stop him. It didn't discourage him from following God faithfully. Uh, not being guilty of sedition and being wronged by uh, the Jews, uh, being falsely accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple, which did not happen, that didn't keep him from having good character. And you know, one of the reasons why is because what we found in Acts 23 and verse 11, where Jesus told him, Paul, be of good cheer. Well, I, I misquoted that. Be of good cheer, Paul, he said. Uh, For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness of me also at Rome. Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. So, so you know what? We can endure all kinds of things when we know God's good hand is upon us. And so this morning as we start, before we even read the text, let me ask you a question. Just kind of ponder as we start the message. Is God's good hand upon you? Are you in a situation where you have a clean conscience before God and in the sight of men? And if you are, man, that's going to make this sermon really good. But if it's not, you know what? That's what we really need to work on. We need to make sure that's right. Because right now as a Christian, if you're born again, you have the best opportunity in a long time to really let, let your light shine and tell people about Jesus Christ. Because there are people right now that are freaking out over the virus, the COVID virus. And so, uh, now don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm, don't, don't accuse me. I'm not saying it's not a, a serious matter. It's especially serious if you have the symptoms and uh, you need to be on a respirator. It's really serious. So people are dying from that. But the reality is, as a Christian, we understand that people die every day, don't they? And so as a Christian, you have a different worldview. You have a different viewpoint. Because obviously we care about people dying of a virus, but we care about people dying every day. There's a 100% chance that everybody that we meet will die outside of the rapture of the church, which that does change the odds. But nonetheless, everyone we know is not going to make it in these carcasses. They're all going to come to that point where we got to be 
well, we've got to pass over. And when we pass over, where are we going to pass over to? The Bible makes it clear. It's not, a, it's not a very difficult thing. You either spend eternity with Christ or you spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell, Jesus Christ being God, by the way. And so, and so that's the big deal, right? So if you're a member of the body of Christ, yeah, COVID's a crisis, and we look at it like, yeah, it's, it's here, right? It made me take off work. It made me stay at home. But when we look at the bigger issue, we look at where are people at with Christ, that's a crisis that's, that's just, it's incredible. There are a lot of people today in our world that don't know Jesus Christ. And man, we're, if you're born again this morning, you are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give account of what we did in this body, whether it was good or bad. And we want to have a clean conscience before God and in the sight of men. So Paul was blameless. His conscience was clean. And, man, isn't that a great place to be? We were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but the virus kind of threw things out of whack, so I made a decision. I repented of my decision to do it, and now we're not going to do it until we can all physically come back together and uh, do it together as one man without any, uh, anyone's conscience being defiled at all over, whether it's safe or not safe or all that. So the Lord's Supper is to bring us together, not to draw us apart. So when we come back together, it's going to be a glorious time. But Paul was blameless uh, that was not because he was free of allegation, just because they didn't stick. So let me, let me talk to you about two things this morning that, that re, regarding the being blameless, uh, the blessings, I'm sorry, of blamelessness, the blessings of blamelessness. I want to just start, though, before we get into that, by looking at Acts chapter 25 and look at the first 12 verses. Acts 25, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. We're going to pray, and then we're going to break this baby out and uh, continue to meditate on our, our really our relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. Acts 25 and verse 1. Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Thither, Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able to go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down uh, unto Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, uh, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he uh, was come, uh, the Jews, which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews' pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of the things uh, before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning for the Word of God. Here we see in your providence that the Apostle Paul will be interacting with one of the greatest types of the Antichrist at that time, which was was Nero, the wicked ruler of Rome. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, what it is when a, a Christian, for safety's sake, has to appeal to the type of the Antichrist. And Lord, yet Paul was as safe there as any other time in his life because your good hand was upon him. Lord, may we take heart knowing that when we're in your will and we're doing what you called us to do and we're telling people about Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, when our heart is right with you, Lord, and our heart is right with others, Lord, then we are in a situation where we are blameless. And Lord, there is nothing that can touch us, even death. Oh, Heavenly Father, that is in essence the message. I just prayed it back to you. I thank you for it. I pray God help me this morning to communicate it in a way that really encourages us virtually somehow in this uh, situation that we're in, Lord. We want to be together today. I want to be physically with the bride of Christ like you physically want to be with us. And yet, Lord, your word still goes through. As Jason was saying earlier, as we were singing, Lord, your word still communicates. It's still powerful. And, and someday, Lord, right now, we have your word. We're listening. We're, we're waiting. And, Lord, someday soon you're going to be with us. We cannot wait to be with you. Oh, Lord, may we hear the trump even today. May we be ready. May we be blameless. May we be harmless. May we be the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. May we shine as lights in the world. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, is, uh, this passage, Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, I'm only going to bite off a few pieces this morning and then we'll pick up the rest of the chapter next week. But I want to just speak about uh, really three things in regard to this chapter. And, uh, again, the first two is simply that, that there's blessings and blamelessness. The first thing that we're going to see is that, that uh, the blessings and blamelessness makes bondage bearable. And so bondage is bearable when you're blameless. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Also, we'll see that the battles are winnable. Paul's a winner no matter what because Christ is in him and he's, on, and he's in good stead with God. The third thing that we're not going to be able to see this week is the opportunities. Man, when, we have, when we're blameless, God brings us opportunities and he makes opportunities available. So blameless, blamelessness makes opportunities available. I can see right now I'm going to have a tongue twister this morning. So blamelessness makes bondage bearable. Let's start with that this morning. And uh, I want you to think about that. As you think about what we've already contemplated in chapter 24, and verse 27, two years. I mean, Paul is running at a, at a fast pace in life, man. He is going, and all of a sudden, just stop. And he's just got to do what he does. I'm sure Paul was busy. I'm sure he was active. But he was in bondage. And the first thing I want us to contemplate is how he was in bondage to his brethren. When you look at the text in, verse, in the previous chapter, in chapter 24 and verse 27, it says, But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So if we deconstruct that sentence and we think about what that means, if, if, Paul, if, if, if Portius Festus... Uh, or Felix, I'm sorry, uh, if Portius Festus, uh, I'm, I'm getting my people confused, if Felix uh, would not have been in a situation, uh, he was the one who preceded Portius Festus, if he was not in a situation where he wanted to do the Jews' pleasure, likely Paul would not have been bound. Why? Because none of those charges stuck. He'd already had a trial. He would have been dismissed. He's a Roman citizen. You don't have any, any you cannot have his life. He's free to go. But because he wanted to do the, the Jews a service, a pleasure, it says, he left Paul bound. Now, that's interesting because Felix rarely, if ever, showed the Jews pleasure. We talked about that last week. Uh, Tertullus' words at the beginning of chapter 24, just absolute malarkey. 
I mean, there is nothing that Tertullus said that anyone could believe about the relationship between the Jews and, and Felix, because the reality was that Felix was very hard on the Jewish nation, and they, were, they actually ended up revolting against Felix because of how he handled the rebellion. And so he was a brutal ruler over them, and, uh, and he would not, he certainly was not often in a situation where he wanted to do them a, a favor. But in the case of the, the world geopolitical situation at the time, and I don't have time to get into all of it this morning, but if you go back and just study world history, and you look at what Felix was involved in, you look at the Roman Empire, you look at the nation of Israel, all the geopolitical activity of the world at some point is touching on these characters that we're looking at in the book of Acts. It's not every character in the world at that time. But, I mean, I just read it to you. We're talking about going to Caesar. Caesar is Nero. One of the characters we'll see next week is literally going to marry the next emperor. I mean, so the, the, these, these situations that, that God is ushering Paul into, they're of epic proportion. I mean, I mean, he's just a guy preaching the gospel. Beloved, you do not know as you're putting your testimony on Facebook and you're telling people about Jesus, whose life you're going to touch. Paul is in a unique situation and God is ushering him into opportunity that only God can bring him into. All because, well, all because he believes that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. And here we are, uh, almost 2,000 years later, we're preaching the same gospel, believing the same thing. And you know what? If I went to Jerusalem today and got up and proclaimed the same things that Paul preached, you know what? We get the same response, even though they're still God's chosen people. And even though all the geopolitical activity of the world is centering around them, and God is working right now through the church, through COVID, through everything that's going on to get the gospel out one last time, because I've got news for you folks, Jesus is coming soon. And I'm not saying that, you know, when I was a young man, my dad would always say, yeah, they've been saying that my whole life. Well, dad, you were born like in 1942, I think, right? Israel became a nation in 1948. So, yeah, our whole life. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing uh, prophetically. And I'm getting off my notes, so just forgive me. But I just want you guys to know this. Man, there is no better time than right now to preach the gospel. Now is the time. Paul knew that. Paul knew that there were things going on. He had insights. He was, he was revealed mysteries. He understood there's a dispensational change, Israel. You better get on the Jesus bus because it's not going to be good if you don't. Now think about this. Ten years after this interaction in Jerusalem, the temple is absolutely gone. The temple that they're saying that he's defiled because he brought Gentiles in, which he didn't do, is absolutely leveled by Titus, General Titus of Rome. A million, it's estimated a million Jews are dead. A million. That's a lot of dead bodies. In, in the very place, the very epicenter of what we're talking about here where the Apostle Paul's preaching. There's no doubt about it in retrospect. When you look at it from God's eye, there, he knew what was going to happen. He told Paul, look, man, there ain't nothing you're going to do to change their mind. But Paul's like, I got to go anyway. And when we get to this chapter, we can see that Paul's like, there ain't nothing I can do to change their mind. But I went anyway. Beloved, sometimes the message that we preach, it may fall on deaf ears. If there's one thing I learned at preaching at a city union mission where men are often given over to sin to the point that they, they often don't repent, is, is the reality that, you know what, you still, and I should, and we should all still preach the gospel even if it's against the wall, even if it's to an empty room. Why? Because God is worthy. His, his word is worthy to be preached. 
I mean, God is serious about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. And who's to say that in a situation like this, that God doesn't use this, this technology to push the word further than it would ever go? Because God's that good. God will take the problem and he'll turn it into a solution. So Paul wrote of his love for the Romans. And man, he, he cared so much for these people. The people that were responsible, the people that were putting pressure on, on Felix to keep him bound, the people that Festus feels so obligated to go and, and smooth things over with, the people that were getting the attention of all the principalities and powers, the people that were getting the tax money, those people, <laughs> they really weren't getting the tax money, they were getting their money taken, that's another story. But the reality, those people that were garnering the attention of the powers that be, that were causing the people that should have been letting Paul go free and defending Paul, causing those people to use him as a goat to try to smooth things over. Those people are his brothers, and he loves them dearly. Paul's not accusing them, nor is he excusing them. You know, I just, I've got a couple of verses on the screen. In the book of Romans, chapter 9, Paul wrote, and I've mentioned this before, but it's kind of a way of review, and I don't want us to forget it. He said, he, he wrote of his love for the brother, and he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Again, he's, he's being very sincere He's, this is not hyperbole. I'm not making things up. This is what I really feel. My conscience also, there's that word conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He, what he, Paul is in essence writing here to the Romans is, I am serious, as we like to say in our common vernacular, I am serious as a heart attack, meaning you can kill me on this one. I am so, this is dead serious. He says that I... I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And I've mentioned this before. Paul is saying, in essence, I wish I, if, if I could give up my salvation for theirs, I would do it. Of course, Paul could not do that. But what he could do is, is what he told the saints. He's like, hey, they're Paul, you're going to be bound. You can, and Paul's like, bound? I'll die for my brethren even though that's the way they tr- treated him. Where did Paul get that kind of grace? Well, you know where he got it. He got it from Jesus because Jesus did the very same thing. Isn't it awesome that God so loves the world that he would give his only begotten son? I mean, that's, that's absolutely hard to, to process, the love of God and the obedience and the love that Jesus had for the Father. How in the Godhead, they don't need all of us, but yet they want us. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing how God grafts us in to to his glory. In Romans 10 and 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, he wrote this just before he traveled to, to Jerusalem, just before the events that have unfolded from chapter 23 forward. The Apostle Paul's heart's desire and prayer is that his brethren would get saved, yet it's those brethren that have him in bondage. You know, Paul could not lose his salvation. You know what he did lose for his brethren? is his freedom. Attempting to share the love of Christ with his brother in Israel costs him his freedom. He will never be as free as he once was. He was literally willing to be incarcerated to get the gospel where it needed to go. And that's exactly what happened. But his bondage was bearable because he knew how the story ends. His bondage was bearable because he knew how the story ends. Paul never faulted because he was following the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He came unto his own, Jesus, and his own received him not. Well, Paul came to his own, and his own received him not. How many of you come to your own, and your own receive you not? 
I'm pretty fortunate. I have a pretty loving family. But some of you, you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, and you come back home, and all of a sudden, you're not wanted anymore. Amen. We got people. Uh, it's awesome to have an amen choir when there's not very many people here. Amen, Ron. Praise the Lord. That's encouraging, the old preacher. So, <clears throat> so uh, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, there are folks that, that when they get saved, not just overseas, obviously, which that happens all the time in foreign countries, but even here in the United States. They come, and they, they come to Christ, and all of a sudden, their brother and their family, don't, they really don't want them anymore. They don't even want to have a relationship. Sometimes they're, they're very difficult. Sometimes uh, they soon see you in jail, as at the next Christmas party, right? So, praise God, that's not my testimony, but that is some of your testimonies, probably watching me this morning, maybe even in the room. So, the cool thing is about that analogy, though, that's as far as it goes for, for Paul. That's as far, pretty much as, well, not for everybody, but for some people end up dying. I watched a video. I, I've shared this story many times. Uh, it was a live leak video. It was a real video of a, of a Muslim man who laid down his life for his friends. He came to Christ, and his, his uh, friends, I think it was in Tunisia or some country in northern Africa, just, just slit his throat and let him bleed out. It was a horrible thing to watch. Uh, but he did that. He didn't fight him. He was a fit young man. He could have ran. He could have done a lot of things, but he just literally laid his life down. And it freaked me out uh, because uh, it's a horrible thing to, to witness. But it's actually, when I really think about that, I think that only Jesus Christ could do that in a man's life. A young man, too. Uh, all that he gave up uh, for Christ. Well, you know what? Paul, at this point, he's not doing that. He's just giving up his freedom. He's going to go to Caesar. He's like, you know what? I am done with Israel. So that's as far as it goes with Paul. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He's not the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus has already died on the cross for the nation of Israel. He's already been buried, and he's already resurrected. It's going to do Paul, Paul understands, it's going to do me no good right now to be a martyr in Jerusalem. God has given me word. I need to go to Rome. So Paul was able to understand that, you know what, I have a choice with the life that God has given me, and God gave him a choice, and Paul was going to take the path that God had for him. You know what's interesting about that? Neither path was easy for Paul, but he took the right path. And it's important that we understand in this life, you know, sometimes in our world we get used to comfort, especially here in the States. But you know what? What if we had no comfort? Would we still take the right path? Paul took the right path because neither one of the paths that he was going to choose were comfortable. Sometimes in life God brings you to a place where neither path is very comfortable. Right? Maybe you're facing an illness or facing some problem in your life and it just seems like there's no way out. You know, it's at those times that we got to remember the only way out is Jesus Christ. So take his path. If you can have discernment on which path does he want to take, take that path. Take the path that he's telling you to take because that's the right way. So Paul is just the messenger. He's happy to endure bondage as long as he makes his way to Rome. He's willing to die for Christ, but like God, <clears throat> like God has done with the Jews, but he's going to wait until the day future. He's not afraid to give his life. As a matter of fact, he proclaimed that in the text that we read. I'll die. If I need to die, I'll die. But I'm not going to do it under these circumstances because I don't have to. God, he doesn't tell them this, but God has other plans. So he's going to use the tools that are in his hand. So we examine why Paul even placed himself in this situation in the first place. And it gets back to, first of all, because he sincerely wanted to encourage the church at Jerusalem. In the story right now of Paul's life as we're reading it, we kind of forget the reality that a large portion of Paul's epistles are built around how Paul was gathering and collecting money for the saints in Jerusalem. I don't think we want to minimize that. Even in the text itself, as he shows up to Jerusalem, not a lot is said. Why? Because there's so much tension with the nation of Israel. 
But I do believe sincerely one of the main reasons that the Apostle Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem wasn't just to, to witness to his brethren. I think he sincerely wanted to bring a gift from the Gentile churches to the saints in Jerusalem to show a token of God's grace to the people in Jerusalem. And what better way to encourage a Jew than give him some money? Not to be funny, but that's the truth. I mean, he's like saying, this is the earnest of our, of our sincerity. These Jews, these poor Jews in Mas- or these Jews, these Christians, these poor Christians in Macedonia have, have given, have sacrificed above their ability to give a gift to you, who are, by the way, the Christians in Jerusalem were also suffering. It was not a good situation at that time. It wasn't a good time to be a Christian in Jerusalem. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, you know, right now may not be a good time to get married. Why? Because, man, these are lean times. It's not necessarily the best time. Nevertheless, if you want to get married, you can, but it's going to be tough. I'm just letting you know. And so, and so it was a tough time to be a Christian. I think the first thing that Paul wanted to do was encourage the church and say, listen, your sacrifices are making a difference all over the world, and they acknowledge it, and they're bringing back relief for you. But secondly, though, he did understand biblical prophecy. I believe that the Apostle Paul uh, had already written Romans eleven twenty five, and that says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And let me just be careful with this verse because Paul in Romans 11 is actually making a statement to the church. He's making a statement to us. We are already supposed to understand, and Paul has written it in Romans 9 through 11, that God has put Israel on hold. Paul literally wrote that before he even went to Israel. He understands that. But one of the admonitions is, is don't be arrogant, church, like, like Israel, or you'll go into blindness. Let me just park on that. Let me just hang on the rim there just a moment. He says, hey... Blindness in part has happened to Israel. Now, we even saw when Paul was under, under the first examination in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the Sadducees split when he brought up the resurrection. There were, still, there were still Pharisees saying, wait a minute, we don't want to fight against God. There was still a remnant. There were still some people that Paul knew might receive Christ. So Paul was willing to preach Christ. But the reality is, he said, he'd already written before he got there, listen, blindness in part has happened to Israel. Don't be wise in your own conceits. And beloved, as we enter these these days ahead, it's important that the church understand that we're not wise in our own conceits. Don't just kind of lay back, oh, well, the Antichrist will come someday and we'll just do it, we'll we'll just capitulate. No, 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 don't do that, please. Be very faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it costs you hardship. Be, be diligent to follow Christ, even if the road and the path is difficult. Why? Because, well, that's what Jesus called us to, is the right thing, so that you can stand before God and say, I am blameless, I am harmless before a holy God. Know what time it is. Paul says, hey guys, we know what's going on with Israel. Don't get blind like they are. And you know what's interesting is in Revelation 3, Paul, or not Paul, but the Apostle John is given the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what is the condition of the church? They think that they're rich and increased with goods. But it really says they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And they, they don't know what's going on. They've lost track of what's important. Here the Jews have had literally God of the universe manifest in the flesh, show up in their, in their own temple and preach. And they just shut the door and reject it. They just close their eyes to truth. Man, if, if that doesn't resonate with, with the culture we live in, truth is just, just pushed aside for the next entertainment. Truth is just pushed aside for the next sporting event. Praise God we got to pause sporting events for a season. Why? 
Because there needs to come a time when we stop entertaining ourselves and focus on what's important, which is the Word of God and the souls of men and what Jesus Christ is doing in time and eternity. Time is short. Don't be blind. I don't want to be blind. I don't want to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ and have Jesus say, Brian, why didn't you tell them? I don't know, Jesus. I was afraid. I don't know. I was afraid it wasn't sensitive enough when COVID was going around and I was going to scare somebody even more. Jesus is like, no, Brian, tell the truth. And I'll tell you the truth. COVID is serious, but I'll tell you what, eternity is much more serious. And it doesn't matter if there's a virus or not a virus. You're going to hear the same thing. Why? Because that is the most important thing, is what Jesus Christ is doing, what he has done, and what he wants to do in our lives. Don't reject Jesus like Israel did. Though Revelation hadn't been written, I believe Paul certainly knew hard times of judgment were coming to his brethren, Israel. He knew it. Why? How could you miss it? Jesus himself was giving his apostles or, and the disciples the download in Matthew 24 and all the way through the Gospels. I mean, it just they understood these things just like we do today. Rejecting Jesus brings difficult consequences. So what makes our bondage bearable, Brian? That's a good question. Well, right now we're in a season of bondage, many of us in a very literal way, at least a light bondage, much lighter than what Paul was experiencing. But we bear it nonetheless in hopes of what? Saving the lives of those who might be affected by COVID-19. And I don't say that with any lightness. For goodness sake, I just, I just changed my mind about the Lord's Supper. Just by chance, anybody might get COVID-19. I, would feel, I personally would feel horrible if somebody at risk got that disease because of something we did. I, I, I would not want that. We believe that that's a, it's a serious enough to curtail our lives. Okay? If we didn't believe it would make a difference, then we wouldn't do it. If we, if we didn't believe that would make a difference, we wouldn't do it. Now, there's some Christians, I believe, that they must not believe the gospel because they don't preach it. If we don't believe the gospel is going to make a difference, then we're not going to preach it. The reality is we need to be preaching the gospel because something much more serious than COVID is on the, on the horizon for every soul that we know. It's so important that we take it seriously. We'll stop the world because a small percentage of the population could die, or even a larger percentage. Statistically, though, more people in the United States will probably kill themselves than will die of COVID. Why? Because they're without hope. They're without Christ. We live in a world without answers, but they're all right here in the Bible. They're found in a person named Christ Jesus. And I'm not hoping anybody dies of anything. But my hope doesn't matter. What matters is what's true. And God loves the world so much, he gave his only begotten son that we could be saved. He's got the antidote to the virus called sin. You know, Paul didn't lose his testimony the two years that he was in custody in the palace of Caesarea. Sometimes we're, we're tempted to just give up. Oh, well, it isn't making any difference. Throw our hands in the air. It doesn't matter. Believe me, I'm, 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 I'm saying that myself, not to you. I'm sure that Paul, while he was in incarceration, was spending time every day, has a Romans 3, well, if you're there every six hours, uh, four times a day. He's, he's got someone new to talk to. He's, he's witnessing to somebody. He's telling them about Christ. He's continuing to meet with people. There's a lot of saints in Caesarea. Some were written of already in chapter 
23 that helped him make his way to Jerusalem. He's connecting with the brethren. He's doing the ministry. He's continuing to do what God has called him to do with the opportunity he has. I love going around, the, the not just at the church. I'm at my house, and there's ABFs on, and I get here, and I'm seeing ABFs. It's just awesome this morning in our church. There's just people gathering around the Word of God all over the place. It's, it's not the ideal situation, but it's everybody doing what they can do while they're in bondage to, to some degree. A light bondage, I want to be careful. But they're bound, right? We can't just come out and do what we would normally do. But you know what? The Word of God isn't bound. God is making a way for it to go. And would to God, if, if pray, I, I pray this would never happen, but if the Internet went down, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Uh, and so what would we have to do then? You know what we'd have to do? We'd have to rely upon the old Holy Spirit of God because the Internet's just a fake ripoff, and we'd have to open up the, the Word of God, and then we'd have to read the Word of God, and guess what? The Spirit of God would still get the work, job done. It would be absolutely glorious because you just can't stop God. Uh, he's way ahead of the World Wide Web. There's nothing normal about Paul's bondage, and there's nothing normal about what our nation is going through in the world right now. There, there isn't. That is, this is not normal. And this is a great time to make sure that we're blameless before the Lord, like the Apostle Paul, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. My, my friend Brandon Briscoe, pastor of the college class down at Midtown uh, Baptist Temple, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, he was on his A-game, and he had all the college students... Um, Start sharing their testimonies. People need good news in a time like this when it's weird and people are kind of bound and things are kind of down. And man, we had enough clouds and dreary days in the Midwest here. And that in itself will put you down, even if, even if everything was normal. I mean, it was just like, oh, depression. Thank God for the sun. Amen. But did you, did you guys see those testimonies? Any of them? No? Have you seen any, Sam? Well, you guys ought to look them up. i got a couple of people here. i got someone in the sound booth. They've seen them. I feel better to interact with people. So. But uh, <clears throat> a couple of you have seen them. So these testimonies, they're, they're just people, just like all of us. But they just get online, and they, just, they were challenged by their pastors. Hey, and they're like three minutes, five minutes, whatever, six minutes. And I've, I've picked up, I haven't watched them all, but I've watched several of them. And I tell you, they encourage me. I'm like, wow, that was really encouraging. That was really good. That was really Philippians 4-ish. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking on some good things right now. I'm encouraged in the Lord. I'm fired up, and I'm already saved, and it encourages me. I can't imagine what kind of work's going to be done in the lives of people that aren't preachers. They're not, they're not eloquent necessarily. They're not cross-referencing everything they say. They're just sharing from their heart how Jesus Christ is alive and what a difference it's made in their life. It's outstanding. It's outstanding to see how people that are bound find ways to communicate the gospel. I think Paul found every way possible to get the job done while things were not exactly ideal. Maybe would to God that we would be the same way. We need to make sure that we're checking on our neighbors. We're calling on those who are isolated and don't have access to social media, especially all of us that are a little younger. I like to say us because I'm still, I'm not 50 yet. <clears throat> My wife's probably watching me right now. So it's an inside joke. But anyway, uh, she better be watching me. Anyway, so uh, uh, just kidding, sort of. All right, so <laughs> I know she, I'm getting a thumbs up in the back, so she's online. But uh, uh, what's a little, if I'm preaching and I'm talking about my wife, something's wrong. But anyway, um, and so, so the re- I forgot where I was going with that. It's going somewhere good. But praise the Lord. Oh, we need to make sure that we check on our neighbors that are isolated. Some folks uh, may not have uh, technology. I was going to say older folks, but the reality is HBF's online 
not because of young millennials. We're online be, or whatever the next thing is. Um, millennials aren't that young anymore. What's Gen Z or whatever? Uh, we're, we're not online because of that. We're online because of someone in the baby boom generation said, hey, guys, I want you online because I can't get to church. So uh, God used that to get us online, which is really preparing us for today. But there's still some folks that don't have access. They don't have access to technology. Like, like they're not, they can't just dial up something on a tablet or their phone and, and know what to do. So you know what you can do? You can call them, like old-fashioned. Well, you don't have to plug your phone in the wall. You can still use a cell phone, but you can actually dial their number and call somebody that that's the only way of communicating. Just say, hey, you know what? I know you're at home. I know you're probably not catching all the live feeds and all that, but let me just tell you what's going on at church. Let me just see how you're doing. How's your health? Have you, you doing okay? Do you need any supplies? You doing, how are your kids? How are things going? And just check in on people and care about them. You'd be surprised how far that would go for the cause of Christ. That's what we can do when we're bound. That's what we can do when things aren't quite normal. Maybe we could prepare some food or get household items for folks who need them. Uh, maybe, most importantly, we need to remind people that Jesus Christ is alive. People that need hope need to be hearing from us that Jesus Christ is alive and that, that he loves them and he died on the cross for their sins. Man, we need to care for people's souls. You know, he was bound on the cross himself. He sacrificed his life as a lamb. He suffered and died in our place. He rose again the third day, conquering sin and death. He's alive right now, and he wants to know everybody. You know, he doesn't need a telephone. He doesn't need technology. If you don't know Christ, all you really have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. He literally knows what you're saying and what you're thinking, and you need to be sincere in your heart. You need to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin like a lamb. You were bound. You bled out for me that you, you, you rose again the third day, conquering sin and death. To the best way you know how, I just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. You gave your life for me. I'm giving my life to you. I'll tell you, if you are serious about that and you give your life to Christ, you call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save you. He will, he will, he will change you from the inside out. The Bible says he will quicken you. He will bring you to life. If you're feeling dead inside, that's because you need Christ inside. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He will quicken you from the inside out. Call upon him today. See, Paul loved his brethren. He wanted them to look out. He, he didn't want to see what was coming, but they wouldn't listen. Jesus is coming. If you're not going to be <clears throat> caught up in the clouds at the rapture, you're going to be caught in Satan's world wide web. That's just all there is to it. And you're not going to escape. Second Thessalonians 2 has already made it clear. Because you don't receive the love of the truth, your destiny set, just like Israel. There's a million people going to die 10 years after our account here in Acts. It's, it was coming. And whether they recognized it or not, it was because they rejected their Messiah. They rejected Christ. A lot of people in our culture don't think Christ is that important. I'm talking, there's people that say they're Christians that don't think Christ is that important. There is nothing more important than Jesus Christ. Man, God forbid that we would be like those that would set him aside. Are you blameless? Are you in bondage? Maybe you're blameless, but you're in bondage. Well, that's okay then. What are we communicating and communing with in our homes, practically speaking? This is a time for families to really make sure that if we're bound, you know, Paul had a Roman soldier with him, so what's he doing? He's doing everything with that Roman soldier. Right now is a great time. There's some of us, I mean, at my house, I have more time with my family than I normally get because they're not running sports and I'm not over here while they're over there. 
It's a great time to come together. We actually sat down and watched a movie the other night. That was, that was fun. That was good. Uh, you know, it's, it's good to be together. Gather around the scripture. Gather around live stream. Gather around the dinner table. That's another thing we've been doing, eating dinner together. In our culture, sometimes we get so fat, going so fast, you can't even sit down and eat dinner at the table. I'm like, hey, Amy, this is a great chance for us to have dinner at the table. So we've been doing more of that. And uh, the family, by the way, anytime, no matter what's going on, it's always good to have dinner around the family table. But really, you guys understand in this world, once everyone's playing sports and doing ministry, it gets hard to always meet at the table. If you can hit it once or twice a week, sometimes you're lucky in the evening. So, man, make that a priority while you can. And ultimately, too, make sure that we're communicating Christ while there is no NCAA, right? When there is no sporting KC, when there is no... Royals aren't doing nothing right now. Don't worry about it. Home openers just postponed, right? The Chiefs, hey, they're trying to figure out what to do with their money. So, you know, I mean, it's all on, it's all on hold. You don't even have to think about it. You don't even have to occupy your mind, and you can focus on Christ and engage with people in a meaningful way. And you will be blameless <clears throat> in bondage. And so I'm going to go ahead and pull up there. I was going to get into the, how God made, when we're blameless, God makes battles winnable. But I'm going to hold that till next week. And I just want you guys to think about what we've talked about this morning, about how when we're, when we're blameless, it makes bondage bearable. But the truth of the matter is, this morning you might be listening to me, and the truth is it's unbearable. You are having a hard time. You're having a hard time being with people that you're supposed to love. Maybe you're having a hard time being with you. Because in your heart of hearts, you know, you know what? I'm in bondage. I'm not free. You know, interestingly enough, out of all the people in our, in our text that we've been reading about, Paul is the freest man in the text. And yet he's the one that's under incarceration. He's the one that's bound. And he's telling the leaders, hey, listen, leader, this is how it is. This is what's going down. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go see the leader of the, of the, uh, of the world, Nero. Why? Because God had given him favor because he had a clean conscience before God in the sight of man that he had met with Jesus and he knows. We know from Felix's own testimony, and we'll talk about this next week, I should say Festus, as he goes to King Agrippa uh, in chapter 25. <clears throat> you know what I know about the Apostle Paul? While he was incarcerated, while he was being accused, while things weren't really going very good for him, it says in uh, chapter uh, 25 and verse 19, but certain questions against him of their own, speaking of the Jews as they were questioning Paul, of their own superstition. Festus didn't hold the gospel in high regard. He thought it was just a cunningly devised fable, a story, a superstition, like many of the people that, like I used to do. I used to think that myself. And, um, and it says, And one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. You know what I love about that account in, in Acts chapter 25 and verse 19? Is that Festus... He's not even a Christian. He doesn't even believe the Bible himself. But you know what? He was able to get the message very clearly and concisely when he was repeating what Paul said to somebody else. He got the gist of the message. This man, Paul, is in trouble because he believes a guy named Jesus is alive. That's the only reason Paul was in trouble. And Festus knew it. Man, I tell you, in your life right now, if you're, are you in trouble for anything else other than that? Because if you are, you shouldn't be. We're not blameless. We need to be blameless and harmless. And you're like, well, Brian, man, I am in trouble. I'm in all kinds of trouble. But you know what a cool thing is? God's not going to treat you like Paul's brother treated him. He's not going to kill you. 
He's already killed his son for you. He's already got a sacrifice that's sufficient to cover your sin. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I pray that if you, know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, that today you would call upon him to be your Lord and Savior. I've already said this three or four times, but I just want to encourage you. Man, I tell you, if you're worried about dying, you ought to be. Because everyone is promised to die. The Bible says that we got an appointment. It's appointed once unto man to die. And after this, the judgment. But the Bible also speaks of a second death. And you don't have to make that appointment. God gives us a way to escape. There's a second death, and that's a death that comes when, when you don't know Jesus Christ. Every man physically will face death. We've all got to pass through that door. But the real issue is, before that day comes, have you trusted Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, so that you can escape the second death? I pray that you have. And if you haven't, you can call right now. And I'm not some televangelist, but you can do the contact at hbfcast.org or uh, I got someone waiting right now on the phone that you can dial 816-380-3033. And I got someone actually with the phone in hand ready to take, pick up your call. If you got questions about how you can have eternal life or how you, can, how you can know for certainty if you died, that God would truly deliver you from bondage, that he would truly deliver you from trouble. I got someone ready to pick up the phone right now and, and dial that and, and talk to you face, or voice to voice and show you not just how to call a church for help, but how to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And I pray that you would do that today. If you're a Christian this morning, um, I'm not going to have an altar call because it'd be pretty small. And uh, I think we got good-hearted folks here, but the reality is we all do need to examine ourselves as we're in this time of bondage, right? This time of, of a waiting period when our lives are going a million miles an hour and all of a sudden we're just like, stop. I just read in the Atlantic last night in an article they're like we don't know there's four scenarios one of them was up to 18 to 24 months before things are normal some of by one was by Easter one was two months you know just kind of incrementally put them out there 18 months whatever we don't know what's we don't know what tomorrow will bring the Christians I don't know what tomorrow will bring but I know Jesus is coming soon I don't know the day or the hour I can't tell you I just know this I want to take the right path like, Paul, I want to be blameless and harmless. I know you do too. So let's just ask the Lord to, to just strip away anything in our heart, anything we're holding on to. Maybe you feel like, man, someone's done me wrong, and you're bitter, and that's putting you in bondage. Hey, you better let go of that because you can if you're saved. If you're saved, you can let go of that. You need to let go of it while you can. Because I tell you what, you don't want to go into hard times with that kind of stuff in your heart. You need to be, you need to be like Paul. I need to be like Paul. We need to be like Paul. We need to be blameless and harmless. And when our brothers hurt us, we're like, hey, that's okay. We know, we know that we love them too much to, to get all cross about it. doesn't mean we put up with it right forever, but we still love them. We still love them, even if we can't always fellowship with them. And make sure our hearts are right with God and one another. Amen.